the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Morning, glory and evening, grace, America. It's Hugh Hewitt from high atop New York broadcasting tonight from Mike Gallagher's studios on the 47th floor of the Empire State Building. As the snow begins to fall to mark the beginning of the de Blasio administration, I have Ben Smith in studio with me. He's editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. He is also the only person I've ever interviewed who worked for the Baltic Times in Latvia. And it's that what I want to focus on, Ben. What exactly were you doing in Latvia working for the Baltic Times? You know, it was the, it was the late 90s, and you're young journalist, what you wanted to do was go to Prague. And I'd actually studied Czech, but you couldn't get a job at the Prague Post, you know? And so I, I washed up in Riga. How did you study Czech? You, you know, a lot of young journalists don't study Czech. Uh, you know, I was uh, just, yeah, I fit my schedule. I was into Milan Kundera. You know, it happens. And, and plus, a, I wanted to go to Prague. It seemed like a cool place to be a journalist. You're a Yaley. Yes. And have you never not been a journalist? Oh, yeah, I kind of, I, I mean, I wasn't a student journalist, particularly a little bit, but I wasn't on the Yale Daily News. I wasn't, a, I don't think I was competitive enough. But right out of college, did you start scribbling yeah, for a living? went to the Indianapolis Star and covered cops for the summer there, which was amazing, and, um, and then went to Latvia, okay. naturally. And from Latvia to where? I started stringing for the Wall Street Journal out there, came back here, worked for the New York Sun, and a bunch of New York papers covering politics here. And so now you're 37 years old. You're editor-in-chief of the fastest-growing octopus on the web. And is BuzzFeed ruining journalism? That's actually our official slogan, <laughs> fastest-growing octopus on the web. No, I mean, I think we're, I think we're the – I mean, we, we see ourselves as maybe the first really ambitious journalistic outfit that's really native to this new environment. That's where Twitter and Facebook are the core distribution platforms and where if you're doing journalism, if you're doing entertainment, what you need to be thinking about is how people will share them. How interesting. You know why you're on today? I have not. You're my New Year's resolution. Uh-oh. No, I have been holding a grudge against BuzzFeed since you would not produce McKay Coppins during the Romney campaign when he slagged on the governor. So I thought I would just give that up and start bringing you guys back on again. Oh, thank you. I didn't even realize we'd been banned. Oh, but... you were. You guys weren't. You weren't banned. You were in the penalty box. A ban is a lifetime I mean, I, substance my... abuse. NFL three strikes policy. Penalty boxes. McKay should have come on and answered the story, and you held him out. I don't even blame him. I blame. Oh no, you. I told. I don't let my reporters go get beat up by the likes of but you. But what? It's not getting beat up. It's sort of like if you're in a story, you should talk about the story. See, I think usually if. So if you're in a story, I think when you've reported a story, you should usually let the story stand for itself. But when he got caught talking about the governor. Oh, that was the, I can't even remember the details. All I remember is I. that was the dumbest, most out of context thing I've ever heard. But, yeah. but <laughs> he said like completely random nutty thing. And it would have taken like one minute for him to say, I as just I recall died. he said something that was obviously true as a, as a descriptive fact. Yeah, something like what dumb thing will Romney say today? I can't remember Which what Which in it retrospect was. was a pretty 
was a reasonable prediction on that campaign. But it demonstrated an attitude towards the candidate, which was actually not what I think McKay held, but which was kind of a fun thing to say, right? Right. And I think when, when you're on the campaign trail, anyone, I'm not, I don't think, I think this is less true of, of McKay than, than most reporters. You, you develop this sort of naturally antagonistic relationship with the campaign that you'll hear because there's this hostage kind of situation. Yeah. So how is he, is he flourishing as your political editor? He actually just got promoted he, or, or demoted or something. And he's no longer, he's, he's back to writing. He's going to, he's a senior political writer. He's going to be, and he's got a book deal. He's doing a book on the future of the Republican party. Oh dear. There I, is one of those <laughs> every week. The last guy to do that was David Frum and look what it did to his, his career. His is going to be really great. Um, okay. I'm sure. But yeah, no, and our new political editor is Catherine. Miller, formerly the Free Beacon. Okay. Great, oh, great kid. Very terrific hire. Are you going to just take everyone from the Washington Free Beacon because Lachlan Marquet is the next big thing in journalism? You know, there are a lot. There are a lot of good reporters in the partisan media, and I think, like, I, I have this whole theory that for a while in the 2000s, all the good jobs for young journalists were were on the left and on the right. And that actually really, since the start of Politico, there's kind of a re-centralization, like there are, there are jobs for mainstream, or for essentially politically neutral organizations again that are kind of sucking people in from the, where they had started out at National Review or at TPM. Uh, well, Costa going over to Washington Post right. and, and, and obviously Miller coming to you. And th- but does it matter anymore if people wear their politics on their sleeve? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't hire people who want to be ideologues. Or oh, no, wanna... but I mean, Costa isn't. And I think Costa is a conservative, but it does not impact his reporting. It is too, but I don't. I mean, I don't really know. Actually, no. I think I think it does hurt you if you're as a reporter, you're out there. I mean, uh, yeah. If, I mean, I think it can limit basically who's going to talk to you and who's going to trust you. Uh, does Vin Scully call a, a fair Dodgers game because he knows who's going? To, he really wants Blue to win. He was the Rose Parade, uh, Marshall. So be careful. Yeah, I'm out of my depth here. Um, I, I mean, I guess I think it can, it can. You know, there are certain kinds of reporters for whom it can actually be. I mean, I guess I'm interested in breaking news and getting stories. And there are times where, like Glenn Greenwald, where if you hold yourself out and your views are very, very clear, a source may come to you because they know exactly where you're coming from and bring you something amazing. But more often, people, I think people may not see you as an honest broker. And I think like you can just so easily lead yourself to see what you want to see and not be talking to people who are going to check you. All right. Three questions. Do you believe in God? Wow. No. Did you vote for President Obama? I didn't vote. And were you unwilling? See, I want. No, to no I'm not. I'm not unwilling to. I'm not unwilling. I'm. I'm. I think that reporters should vote, but I think they should not say who they voted for. Okay, and and so, but should they declare if they believe in God or not? I don't. You know, it's not a question I thought through, and you sort of caught me by surprise there. Because I, I often find that journalists will tell me all what they think or don't think about. God, but won't tell me who they voted for, which I find to be one of the I think more ironic I cover, I, I think if my beat were the Catholic Church, I would maybe not want to say that. Why? What, what possible impact could that have on your reporting? I mean, I think that it's important that your sources trust you and see you as neutral. But I, I don't see anybody as neutral, and I think I am the most... Uh, representative of people. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've talked to thousands of people. Nobody believes journalists at all. Nobody cares what you vote or you don't. Know, I think, I think different people do it differently, honestly. And, I, and, there's, and there are also people who do have, who are, who feel very strongly about policy issues or about, and there are people who do not have a very strong fixed point of view. Like a lot of good journalists, like I think myself, are basically kind of wishy-washy on a lot of the policy issues. And so it's just not what I, so why lead with it? Why, why box yourself in? You might I mean, Okay. Can the Sunday shows be saved? You know, I never, I did not, I've never in my life spent a lot of time watching them. And so what purpose do they serve? 
you, you're, I, you know, I'm going on this week, this week, so I will, for the first time. So I'll, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll, I'll try to figure it out and get back to you. Oh, no, it will be very fast. I've only done I mean, this I think, week I think, once. I think TV, I mean, I th- I mean I, but I don't think it's really about the Sunday shows. I think it's that, like, you know, the Internet is a really great way to get information. Well, no, the Sunday shows still, it's, it's like they're the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the swamp. They are the last gasp of the big media. And Mike Allen put out a list of who's appeared on them over the last year. Did you see that list in his uh, Monday morning? I don't have it in my head. Well, McCain is second, Lindsey right. Graham's fourth. It's all the usual suspects. Yeah. It, it is such deadly dull stuff. Who are you appearing with? <laughs> you don't know. I'm so unprepared for this interview, Hugh. All I know about is snow and, you know, like cat pictures. Well, well I, I'll get to cat pictures and lists after that. But why, why did they call you? What do they want to talk to you about? Um, I think that, you know, I mean, I think they're talking about the new year. And I think they want to talk about, like, the Internet and the media. And, and with the idea that you are becoming the guru? Are you, is BuzzFeed the biggest website now for for news? Um, we're certainly among the biggest. We've had we had more traffic than the New York Times, for instance, last month. I think like Yahoo still ha- Yahoo has an enormous amount of traffic. Huffington Post has more traffic than we do too. Why do people hate you? I honestly don't hate you. I read you guys for you know, funny lists. Why I don't do think they a, hate you? I don't think a lot of people do. I mean, we, having worked for Politico and um, you know, having seen people work for Huffington Post, like I think BuzzFeed has had an incredibly easy ride. I think people have been incredibly nice to us on all sides, and generally, I'm in preparing for this. Like Politico is just like every day somebody who's taking a whack at us and oh, like kind of seeing likes. us as like kind of deep some kind of conspiracy do you think that you think politico is a harder i think politico has a an easier to defend brand i thought politico was so does. easy to explain yeah and it, we were just so, so straightforward but no people but i think but i think the times have changed for you know six years ago when we were starting politico people kind of distrusted us because we were from the internet and that was a weird new thing and, you know, when I was out in Iowa, actually, in, in early 2007, I'd say I was from Politico. And I'd say, well, you know, it started by editors of the Washington Post, has a print newspaper, pretty easy to explain. And people thought we didn't trust us because we were from the Internet. Four years later, I'm out there saying I'm from this website, BuzzFeed, that's actually almost impossible to explain if you're not on Facebook and Twitter. And people, you know, cons- older conservatives in Western Iowa would say, you know what, you're from the Internet. We know this is a thing. Sure, come, like, take my picture holding up a sign, whatever. What is, how do you explain BuzzFeed to people? And, and, and you know, my demographic's 35 to 64. It trends a little bit younger than most talk radio. But how do you explain to a 50-plus audience mean what you do? I mean, I think it's hard to explain to people who aren't on Facebook, but I think most Americans now are on Facebook. Yeah. And basically, you know, if you look at your news feed, you see news, you see pictures, you see, you see funny, you know, cute animals, you see all sorts of different stuff. And I think we, what basically our view is that that media companies need to be people are spending more time on Facebook than they're spending on your website and the media companies need to be making the things that people want to share on Facebook and on Twitter and in those news feeds and the whole mix of stuff. Are you a force for the good? I mean, I think journalism is a force for no, good. BuzzFeed. Doing lots of reporting. Yes, absolutely. And why? Because, I, th- I mean, I guess I think both journalism and entertainment are, are goods. And, and is there anything like you in Russia? Is there anything like you in China? I don't think so. I think, I mean, I th- we're getting into a lot of other countries, Brazil, France. I think we're the, we're the thing that are like us. That's interesting. Ben Smith, editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, is my guest. This segment next, Don't Go Anywhere, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Twenty-one minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hewitt and, and Bill De Blasio's New York. It is the uh, it is the land of no longer Bloomberg. There's a snowstorm coming. His first big crisis is on the way. We will see how he copes. I just want to get 
to JFK on Saturday morning. Honest to God, that's all I care about. Please keep them open. Lachlan Marquet, who is the Washington Free Beacon funniest name journalist in America, had a very funny retweet, dollar, 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 when I uh, quoted to, to Ben Smith, my guest in studio, that he is the next big thing in journalism. I think he's expecting your call tonight to sign him <laughs> up, uh, Ben. Where do you, um, what do you require of someone who comes to work for you at BuzzFeed? Um, I mean, I think, you know, there are different kinds of jobs. I think for political reporters, maybe the most important quality is just raw aggression. Unpack that. I mean, I think you have to be very willing to insert yourself into uncomfortable situations to be, to you know, and to, and to ask sort of difficult questions of, people, of older people who, you know, who, who have lots of status and stature and and it's difficult, actually, to like barge in up to a U.S. senator and ask them some obnoxious question they don't particularly want to answer. But it's also very important. You know, if they'll give you enough time, it's easy. It's just if you have to do it in 30 seconds, it's hard. Now, the, the guy who does this, Jason Matera, is famous for walking up to a microphone to a lefty and putting them in an uncomfortable position. I know his, his dad is a minister here in New York. Yeah, and he's very, very good very at this. Very interesting guy. Now, he is, Jason is very, very good at this. Is that, in the long run, going to help us get politicians to answer questions honestly? I mean, no, politicians hate to answer questions honestly and hate to answer questions. And so I think like it's I mean, it's in, in both. I mean, it's kind of like literally and metaphorically, you know, challenging people is really top important. 10 truth speakers in Washington, D.C. who are elected. Oh, God. Elected truth speakers who will actually tell <laughs> oh, you, you know, what all, they is, all I got is Joe Biden. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure there are any others. And he's ridiculed for it. And maybe rightly. Well, Joe, he does speak his mind. I'm going to absolutely I'm going to agree with you on that. But what about Paul Ryan? I think Paul Ryan will tell you the truth or he won't answer the question. You know, Paul Ryan's brand is as the truth speaker. But I think sometimes so I don't know. I mean, I, but I do write and I but I do think I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys. It, I think it just depends. It's and it's usually it's not necessarily that they'll lie to you. It's just that there's certain things they don't want to talk about. Uh, who is the least com uh, forthcoming person that you have tried to question in D.C., both parties? Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to put it on a list. Like, Barack Obama has obviously not been a model of, you know, openness to the press starting on his campaign. You know, I've just written a book called The Happiest Life, and Michael Medved interviewed me about it earlier today. And I have these seven characteristics of people who are happy. And he ran down them, and he asked me if the president was happy. I hadn't even thought about it. I hadn't applied the template to the president. Do you think the president is a happy guy? Yeah, I think he, I mean, I guess I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think I, I'm not sure being president of the United States is a job that makes you real happy. George like, W. Bush was a happy guy. I mean, I think there were times when he was miserable. Um, yeah, right? Everyone has bad days, but I mean, general disposition. We yeah, all but, have yeah general, general disposition. Yes, I think Obama's a happy person. I think he's a Hawaiian. I'll explain that. I mean, I think there's a, you know, the best, the best stuff that's been written about him is by David Marinus. And just about, you know, like his sort of cultural roots in this very sort of, I don't know, in, in Hawaiian culture. That's where he went to high school. There's a kind of levelness about him and a calm and like that's, you know, that seems to come from there. Would you add detachment? For sure. For a detachment. But also, I mean, he like obviously in his personal life, like wanted a kind of stability and a stable family that he's built against like a lot of odds. All right. Now talk to me about Valerie Jarrett, the most powerful uncovered person in the last 25 years in Washington, D.C. How has she achieved that? Well, I mean, I think she's she's very close. I mean, it's you know, she her power comes from her closeness to the Obamas and that and that's and, and the end like the first family is always going to be a black box to some degree. And that's, you know, whether it's 
whether it's the Bushes, you know, the relation, the Bush marriage or the Clinton marriage. I mean, it's just hard to know what people say to each other. And she's part of, and she's, she talks to Michelle and she talks to Obama and she goes into the, you know, and she's able to talk to them in the, you know, the residential quarters when other advisors But there have been people like this before. Michael Deaver, Carl Rove, Karen Hughes. I'm sure if we think for a second about Bill Clinton, but but they were not enigmas. They're, she's a personal friend of theirs in a way that was not true of those other people you mentioned. Well, and, and a Rove personal friend of their both. You know, Carl Rove and Laura Bush were not close, no, you're right close about that. friends. You're right. You know, so I think that's, I mean, I think so. But I think, you know, I actually think in some ways her, I mean, she's obviously, a lot, there are a lot, lots and lots of people in the Obama administration dislike her, see her as a force of kind of chaos and as thriving in chaos when they're trying to create order. But I think that often things that, that she, it's useful to blame things on her that are ultimately her being the bearer of bad news, her doing fundamentally what the pre- what the president wants or kind of enabling. How much do you know about her? Do you know where she was born? Iran. I did not know that until today when someone told me that. It's not conspiracy. Your dad was a doctor there. No, no. She has a really interesting life story. And she went to Michigan Law. She was there when I was at Michigan Law. I'd never known that until today. No, and she's, she's a, fascinating. And her, and her career was a very, like, pragmatic, urban, political, slash, real estate career. If you know, you wander around this neighborhood in Midtown, New York. You meet a lot of people, kind of wheeler-dealer, politician, real estate moguls. I mean, that's a good business to be in. Yeah, so, so why... Has she got this screen? And do you agree with me, A, that there's a screen that has not been penetrated? You know, that she—I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I've read a lot about her. I mean, like, you don't see a lot. I, I that David Axelrod was quoted trashing her in a way that you very rarely see. I missed that. What did he say? Um, gosh, I'm not going to remember the details, but basically that, he, that he's, you know, he's not a big fan. Uh, when this administration is done, uh, Ben Smith, do you expect the same number of memoirs to flow out of it uh, as flew out of the Bush and Clinton administrations, and will they be flattering or will they be self-incriminating uh, and destructive? I mean, I guess all memoirs are in some way. I mean, all good memoirs are a little bit self-incriminating and destructive, right? Only the boring ones are flattering. Rumsfeld, I mean, I look amazing. For, I mean, I look forward to Obama's. Right? That'll be that'll be the one everybody wants to read. He won't. Oh, of course he, he will. He's a writer. Oh, come he wrote, on. he's written two books. Okay, Bill Ayers wrote them, but no, yeah, no, he, no. I mean, those are those are <laughs> those are lazy books. They're first-person account books. All you have to do is write whatever you feel. There's no one. Account- I mean, when you write a presidential memoir, you've got to actually do a hell of a lot of work. Those are. I, 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 I was associated with Nixon in seventy-eight, seventy-nine, eighty. Right after the memoir team left, they were exhausted by the undertaking of RN presidential. Me- That's why W did his in the way that didn't really require it. I can't see him putting in the hours to do that. I mean, he's got a lot of time. He's a pretty young man. He's going to be. What do you think he's going to do with his post presidency? I think that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, I think there's this new model, right? Which is Clinton, which is to well, W's is the newest uh, new model. Uh, well, and the, that's no, the opposite right, of the Clinton model. Right. Those are the choices. I mean, I think he. I mean, you could imagine him keeping this campaign organization and staying kind of a national leader and having real kind of organizational juice but you could also see him playing a lot of golf like he has in some ways more he has more personally in common with w than clinton in the sense that he doesn't have that he doesn't seem to have that desperate that very very intense need to be liked and to be in the mix like you could have imagined him not making it into the senate and living a perfectly happy life prediction time that we will pull out in 2017 you know if he doesn't live in chicago they will feel very deeply betrayed out there that's not the answer, though. Where do you think he's going to go? I think he'll go to Chicago. I don't. You can imagine. I mean, <laughs> coming here. You think New York? He has to come here. This is where, in fact, if you're going to run the Clinton model, you have to come here. 
Oh, see, I think you run the Clinton model with a base out of Chicago. I don't know. Honolulu. We'll be right back. One more segment with BuzzFeed. Ben, then Lilix comes along. How come you haven't hired Lilix yet? He's the funniest guy on the web. He was actually BuzzFeed before BuzzFeed was BuzzFeed. You know we don't hire conservatives. (laughs) Be right back, America. Ben Smith is my guest, editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. Stay where you are. Thirty-four minutes after the hour, America. Two Hewitt. One more segment with Ben Smith, editor in chief of BuzzFeed. Uh, it's the new year. I've been talking about new media, and I want to conclude by talking with Ben Smith about Ben Smith. What is your ambition? I mean, I think we want to be not we Ben Smith. Uh, my ambition. My ambition at this point is totally tied up with BuzzFeed's ambition. I'm a fully drunk the Kool Aid. I'm, you know, I want to. I want to be at BuzzFeed for the rest of my career and build something amazing. And what do you, what would you like people to say about it? Rest of your career, that could be 40 years, it could be 50 years, given how lifespan's going on. What do you want people to say about it when they give when I, the... When I'm a 150-year-old cyborg. Yeah, or when they're um, looking back at it. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we want to be like the great new news and entertainment outlet for this new ecosystem that we feel has changed, like kind of more radically than people realize in the way information gets distributed. And how quickly is it itself changing? I mean, I think there was a huge change in the last three or four years, maybe bigger than the previous five or eight um, in terms of this shift away from kind of your website and toward individual pieces of content getting passed around by individuals and who are and only the best stuff and only the stuff they love most getting shared. And how do you stay ahead of that? I mean, do you get up in the morning and think, how do I, are you looking everywhere constantly? How do I stay ahead of this thing? Um, I mean, I think we live, we live very fully immersed in it. So it's not like it's a thing we're staying ahead of. It's the water. It's kind of the air we breathe. Is there a reality show at BuzzFeed's offices if you allowed them to film it? No, I don't think so. Just a lot of really smart people working really hard. They love their jobs. Now, I just finished this book, The Happiest Life, and I believe there are seven aspects. Uh, Arthur Brooks says there are four. Faith, family, friends, and earned success. How do you do on those four? Has three out of four. Is that all right? You said you need two. (laughs) I'm psyched about it. I I think family is. That's that to me. That's a big one for me. And your friends? Yeah. Though when you have little kids, I don't know. You never see your friends. Who's your best friend? Now, that's just going to get me into trouble. I'm going to Come on, on tell one. me. Give me three, then. My wife. No, that and that's all count. I got. That's a crappy answer. Who's the <laughs> no, guy? That is literally the Who truth, and all I'm giving you. Who do you call if you're arrested tonight <laughs> on the street and you have to get out of jail? Who does uh, Ben We'll Smith just have to call? see when it happens. Okay. Secondly, do you have, uh, there are seven ingredients. Eyesight. Energy, enthusiasm, encouragement, empathy, good humor, graciousness, and gratitude. Your energy level is high. I can tell that. Uh, your enthusiasm, obviously, is, is pretty Wait, am I like joining the Church of Scientology here? You What's are. Going on? Do you encourage people? Oh, yeah. How I, do you treat your writers? Do you go around and treat your writers well, or do you scream at them? So my theory is that, like, positive, that you, you tell people what they're doing right, and that there's a whole, I don't know if you've heard this theory or if we have time to explore it, but if you tell, just there's just a trend of reversion to the mean that, that means that bosses yell at somebody, odds are the next, if they do something terrible, odds are the next thing they do is better, and that trains the boss to yell at them more, and it's like a huge fallacy. I have not heard that. I've heard seven to one encouragement to criticism ratio works. Um, empathy. Do you have a great deal of natural empathy, or do reporters have to deny themselves that? Um... I think, I mean, I don't know. There are different ways to manage reporters. I guess I like to treat people as adults and not create really intense, emotionally dependent relationships, which is what some editor-reporter relationships are. Are you funny in the newsroom? 
do make people there, laugh. I am not the funniest person in the newsroom. Yeah, Politico asked but there's me for a lot a of la- But there's an enormous book. amount of laughter in our newsroom. There is? Yes. Uh, Politico asked me for a profile on this book what my favorite joke was. What's Ben Smith's favorite joke? I thought it was a stupid my, question, my, but they asked it. It's the lady on the train, the old saw. I don't know it. Lady gets on a train, uh, and guy sits down next to her and turns to her and says, Lady, that is the ugliest baby I have ever seen in my life. I mean, that, you've got to put a bag over that. That is an ugly baby. And, you know, she's outraged. I'll shorten it, but she stands up. She calls the conductor. Conductor comes over, says, ma'am, I'm so sorry. This man has behaved outrageously. We'll get you to the first-class carriage. We'll get you a nice glass of water and a banana for your monkey. Ah! I've never heard it. <laughs> uh, and who are you most grateful to for your success outside of your parents? My wife. She, I would totally, I was going to say, I had no idea what Jonah Peretti was talking about when he started talking to me about BuzzFeed. I said no to him. And then she was like, no, no, <laughs> let me explain this to you. You have to do it. Uh, and when did you meet her? I met her in Latvia. Back Is she at the Latvian? Baltic Times. She's Latvian, although she now runs a bunch of bro- blogs in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. And so, and how long did it figure out that you were going to marry a Latvian, and how'd that go over on the home front? You know, the, I, I come from a mixed marriage, uh, so, so I think it was all right. And so, do you go back there very much? Yeah, we go back most summers. Do you worry that Putin's just going to swallow the damn country? Yeah, I've spent enough time with Latvians and like kind of that. I don't think that's a. I mean, I think the NATO expansion was really, really important for them. Um, I, you know, I don't, and I don't think that they're worried necessarily. I mean, they do worry. I don't think like tanks are going to roll in from Skov tomorrow. But I think like Putin's ambitions in what he calls thinks of as the near abroad are pretty scary. Is Putin scary. evil or simply a czar? I mean, I do think he comes out of this deeply Russian, specifically Russian tradition. Not KGB, but Russian. Yeah, it does feel that way. Ben Smith of BuzzFeed, great chatting with you. Thank you. Happy New Year to you out of the penalty box. Thanks for having me on. resolution is done. I'll be right back, America. Lyle Lake 6 next in the New York City edition of The Hugh Hewitt Show. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. Andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888 You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.